Well, good evening, everybody. Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Let's begin with prayers we always do, and let's thank God for this time that we have to hear His Word, thank Him for all that He is and what He has given to us. Uh, what we'll continue to see as we study is that our understanding of the Word of God is completely dependent upon uh, God the Holy Spirit as our teacher. And it's the only way that we can learn and understand. So that's why we have to have our, our minds right, our, our concentration, and uh, have our minds and our, and our, our, our uh, understanding or our concentration based on the Word of God and that alone and upon God and what he will reveal. So with that in mind, let's pray. Our holy and heavenly Father, thank you for this time that we have to be before your word. Therefore, before you, as the word is the mind of Christ, and that the Word was God. <clears throat> the Word is God. We are uh, in awe, Father, of what you have done for us. Uh, and you are amazing <clears throat> and wonderful and have provided for us by grace so many things that come with salvation that have happened through the work of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the cross in our behalf that great man, that God-man, who is our brother, our Lord, our husband, our Savior, our King. And it is through Him and Him alone that we have anything. Your Spirit, Father, uh, God the Holy Spirit, reveals Him to us and so that we can know Him. And if we know Him, we know You. And so as we again look into Your Word, we, <coughs> we uh, expect, Father, and are very blessed to have your Holy Spirit revealed to us in this word that we see uh, your Son and his life. And we focus on that, Father, as our revelation and all the things that we learn are centered on that, on him, on his life and who he is. May we be occupied with him. And we ask this in, in Christ's name. Amen. Uh, so, First, we're going to eventually end up here in Mark. We looked at, in the Gospel of Mark, Mark's account of the parable of the sower on yesterday. And the reason why I'm looking at that parable is because we're doing a sort of an interim study on the work of God the Holy Spirit to reveal to us the Lord Jesus Christ. So, as we know in John 16, and it's extremely important that we remember this, that God the Holy Spirit's main uh, ministry, the main theme of his entire ministry to us, is to reveal Jesus Christ. So, as the Lord said, the things that the Father has are mine, and those are the things that God, is, God the uh, Holy Spirit is going to reveal to us. So, uh, what we looked at and continue to look at is, uh, how do we, what is the Holy Spirit saying? And that we again state with uh, no equivocation that it is from the Holy Spirit that he speaks. Uh, the Holy Spirit, sorry, speaks from the Word of God. So it is from the Word of God that he speaks. Nothing outside of the Word of God, but in the Word of God. And so therefore we have to get rid of and throw out all uh, ideas that, that somehow, in, either in deep in prayer or somewhere, that God's going to reveal to me something that's not in the Word of God. I've heard you know, people praying, you know, tell me who to marry, tell me what job to take, tell me where to move. Those things are not in the Word of God. It's not that God can't lead you that way, but to get a clear message that God's going to like shine a spotlight on the one you're supposed to marry, you're going to be waiting a long time for that. So, it is what's in the Word of God. That's what's important. And when we get distracted with other things, we get distracted from the whole life that He's given us to live. That's why we've got to stay focused. God gives us 
main themes that have many parts to them, but the main themes of, uh, of individual things uh, keep us focused and keep us headed in the right direction because we're so easily distracted and deceived. So what are we hearing? It's from the Word of God. The thing that we're focusing on now is how are we hearing? And if we're not hearing, we're not going to see them. If we're not hearing, we're not going to know them. And therefore, our lives will be just as he depicts in the parable of the sower, choked. Uh, the, the Word of God suffocated in our souls because we're not listening, we're not hearing, we're not seeing. And, uh, and so that's what we're looking at now. How are we hearing? We have to know and continue to remind ourselves that uh, we are, though, <clears throat> so this process of hearing is completely linked to our decisions to be dedicated to God, devoted to God, and I'm talking about here over a lifetime, not at any given moment, we're not focusing on that, but over a lifetime to be holy, that's what we're called to in Ephesians 1.4, we were elected so that we would be holy and blameless. And so our lives are to be holy, blameless, dedicated. And when we have that life, and that is our goal, our desire, uh, we will, as promised, learn the Word of God through God the Holy Spirit. So it's not a matter of at any given moment, are you spiritual? I mean, life is comprised of that, of course, of moments, but all of us are sinners and all of us fail. Uh, so at any given moment, we could fail, but as we recover, as we confess and recover from that, we are... Um, expressing in ourselves or through ourselves our desire uh, to see and know God, to, to live in a way that sees him. So again, if the Holy Spirit is speaking to us about things that are holy, and we're not looking at things that are holy, generally, if we're not looking at things that are holy or care for things that are holy, we're not going to hear. And that's where Jesus uh, gets to us in this parable. But first we start with, and God in redemption finds us more or less disintegrated personalities. Disintegrated means decayed or fallen apart. Uh, at the fall of man, we fell apart. The curse upon us caused us to fall apart. And that's why we, so we became sinners. We didn't, in the Garden of Eden, we perfectly did the will of God. And outside of the Garden of Eden, we did not. And, and therefore, we, be, we fell into sin. Dying, you know, as God said, you eat of the fruit of the knowledge, the the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Uh, so disintegration is loss of control, and this is what every human being has to deal with. As fallen, uh, we have a loss of control. We lost uh, rational control, and so we sin. Uh, that loss of control is the aspect of our sinful state. And every single member of the human race is born in Adam. And so we're all born in a sinful state. All of us in the human race try to play God ourselves. We try to control ourselves. We try to fulfill ourselves. We try to do what we can to make ourselves whole and happy and prosperous and safe. Uh, we do whatever we can to do that. And uh, that is a uh, manifestation of our disintegrated self or our fallen state. Uh, ironically, as we try to control our lives, we spin them completely out of control. And we become out of control. And we are out of touch with ourselves, or at least a great deal of ourselves. As God says, from the top of your head to the bottom of your foot, there's no soundness in you. Who can understand the mind of man? And we can't even, as believers, over a lot of years of time, can't even actually understand why we still do certain things. Uh, and this is central to us. We, we've lost uh, our wholeness and lost our completeness. What also occurs here, and 
I use the Loch Ness here as, a, as an illustration, is that fear, repression, broken parts of us lurk under the surface in all of us. And for, for some people, it's more under the surface than others. For all of us, it's, all, it's there. And this is our sin nature. Uh, this is our um, uh, the, the, the uh, sinfulness of us being in Adam. Uh, so, uh, fear and repression are broken parts. They lurk in the soul of every believer. Uh, much in us is shrouded in this, something like the lock. Uh, this lock, or many of the locks in Scotland, are super deep, super cold, and super dark. Uh, and I think that's a nice depiction of our subconscious mind. That uh, the sin in us, the sin nature, like a monster, is always lurking under the surface. Uh, it always wants to come up above the surface. It always wants to take over. It always wants control. And so if Paul puts it this way. In Romans 7, he, des- he describes himself as uh, one who, because sin is in him, because the sin nature is in him, what he desires to do, he doesn't do, and what he doesn't desire to do, he does. Uh, it's also in Galatians 5 where the flesh wars with the spirit and the spirit wars with the flesh. And so, uh, again, there's a monster down there just under the surface who through repression and fear has lived and lurked and made us completely uneasy. And we have uneasy aspects. So, um, let's see here. So, what we have here is the life of Christ. The only way that this uh, can be put under any kind of control. And remember, uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the last part of the fruit of the Spirit is self-control. That the only way that this can happen is if the light of Christ shines in us. And so, as Jesus said, if the light in you is darkness, how great is your darkness? And he, what he meant there is that the light of man is from within. If he has any light, if he can see if he understands anything that is of the light and not of his fallenness, him or her, is that that comes from Christ himself, who Christ is the light of the world. So you can see that the ministry of God, the Holy Spirit, is to reveal to us him. He's the light. And John 1, 4, the life was in him and the life became the light of the world. Uh, and so that light is what the only thing that is going to overcome this monster within us. Now, thankfully, according to the grace of God, we have in position been made whole. If we're still in our sins, we have no hope. No hope. If we're not justified by the blood of Christ, we have no hope. If we're not imputed as a gift with God's righteousness, there is no hope. If Christ doesn't die for our sins, there is no hope. There is no way that we can control ourselves. But now that we are uh, saved and set apart unto God, the door is open for us to do just that. Does it mean that we'll be consistently sinless? No, not, not in this lifetime. But it does mean that the door is open for us to concentrate on the Word of God and to actually learn the Word of God and to use the Word of God to see the person of Jesus Christ in our lives. So look at 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin in our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. 2 Corinthians 5.21. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is God's gracious purpose, to save us. And he has done a miraculous, overwhelming deed, work, to make that a reality. The sacrifice of Christ is beyond our understanding. The misery, the suffering... The sacrifice, what he gave up, is beyond our understanding. But we can comprehend it enough to know that it is immeasurable, that it is beyond what anything or anyone could have ever done for us and would do for us. It is the love of God and the grace of God and the mercy of God all in action. 
And so uh, this gracious purpose of God has brought us into a reconciled relationship with himself. Now we can see, if we choose to, we may not choose to. It's completely on you. But if we choose to, we can see. If we choose to, we can hear through Christ. And this sets us up in, as we'll see in the parable of the sower again, in the good soil. So the relationship with God itself is restored. And we have to remember this is once and for all. There's too many lies out there about the gospel, about how it's a process, about how it's not just faith, and there's all kinds of, it's by works, that there's a second blessing, and on and on and on. There's all kinds of ideas which are not in the Word of God. Uh, the relationship itself, as you can see here in this passage and many others, that is restored once and for all through Christ who made himself sin for us. And we, in consequence, are made the righteousness of God in him. Martin Luther termed this, uh, from this verse, the great exchange. That's a really cool term for that, the great exchange. What did we give God? Our sins. What did he give us? Righteousness. That's the exchange. Justified, therefore, and adopted now into God's family through faith in Christ, Christians are immediately and eternally secure. Immediately, at the moment of salvation, and eternally, nothing. As Paul says in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of the Father and the Son. So now, from that standpoint, that foundation of salvation, our psychosexual, I almost said sexual, physical, Psychosexual, that sounds like a, that's, that's probably not good. Whatever it means, it's not good. Uh, but the work of recreating us a psychophysical being, meaning mind, body, soul, body, heart, body. Like the Gnostic idea that spirituality is only within and that the body does not have to do anything. That is wrong. As Paul says clearly in Romans 6, especially Romans 6 makes it so abundantly wonderful, clear, wonderfully clear, is that the members of our bodies are to be used as instruments of righteousness. Uh, we are in Romans 12.1 to present our bodies to God as a living and holy sacrifice. Like, here I am, use me. That's what I'm reporting for duty is what that verse means. And so, <clears throat> by, so how... Is God now, now that we're um, saved, sanctified, righteous, and justified, how are we going to become those who both mind, body, spirit, soul, heart, all through us are going to be stamped with the image of Christ, that we're going to be in the image of Christ in our behavior, in our thinking, in our actions, in our movements, uh, in our speaking. So the work, this work is called either experiential sanctification or practical sanctification. And we must understand that that work of transforming us into the image of Christ does not happen in a moment. If you have a bad day, you have a bad hour, you are not out of the game. If you have a bad life, you can't do it. Like we just said, you're not going to lose your salvation. You are saved eternally. But if if the the characteristic of the life of a believer is not one that is pursuing holiness, that is not one that is pursuing righteousness, he is not going to see the Lord Jesus Christ. He's not. He's going to live. He's going to be. He or she going to be overcome by sin, overcome by selfishness, overcome by self desire, overcome by self. Pride, which of course is, is that's an, uh, a redundant, but uh, overcome with all things that are not of the Lord Jesus Christ. He will not, he or she will not care too much about their sins, the pattern of sin. There'll be no confession of sin, and on and on. And which to the believer means an absolute diligence to be after. The prize, as Paul says, I reach ahead for the upward call. So this work of um, transformation is a lifelong process, which is comforting, right? Because I could say, you know, I have. If, if today was hard, I'm not out of the game. I, you know, I have my life to do this, to learn of Him, to see Him, to hear Him. I have. 
to be that crop that is in the good soil that bears fruit 30, 60, 100 fold. Um, you know, I've got time to do that. But there's a trap there, like with everything. With everything, there's a trap if we look at it in the wrong way. We may also say, well, I've got my whole life to do this. Why bother today? And then today will become tomorrow. It'll become next week. It'll become next year. It'll become the next decade. And when we are not diligent on a daily basis to commune with God, to pray, commune, read His Word, hear His Word, walk with Him in behavior and thinking, even though we're flawed, but yet it is open to us every day. The more we put it off, the longer it will, the more, the more used to putting it off will be. I mean, we're habit-forming creatures. So becoming whole is a process. Just a few verses on this to make sure, and I know they're verses that you know, but repetition is a wonderful thing. In time, believers have to behold the glory of the Lord, 2 Corinthians 3.18. They have to be transformed by the renewing of their minds, Romans 12.2. They, no they have to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds, putting off the old self and putting on the new, which is being renewed. It's in the process of being renewed in Ephesians 4.24. That whole passage which we studied in Ephesians 4.14-24 through 24, is to put off the old, put on the new, no longer walk as an unbeliever. We have to long for the pure milk of the Word of God. Longing is a lifetime thing. Notice the word longing. We long for it. It's not just a convenience. We long for the Word of God. All right, yesterday we looked at Isaiah 66, where God says He looks upon those who tremble at His Word. We are to grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, 2 Peter 3.18. And in fact, we find out that this sanctification process extends beyond this age into eternity. Uh, we groan in this physical body, as it says in Romans 8.23 through 26, I think it is, that we groan in this physical body longing to be transformed, longing to be redeemed, meaning the redemption of our body. We won't arrive in this life. We won't know everything in this life. And so part of the process, and I think part of the process is the death process, which is also a learning experience, depending on how you go through it. But that is also uh, a lesson in the Lord Jesus Christ, a seeing in the Lord Jesus Christ, everything that he's done, we're offered to do. I, you know, in, in, not like die on the cross, but I think you know what I mean. So not until we leave this mortal body will we actually know the extent to which our split selves who have loved and longed to delight in God's law and to be conformed to the image in Christ when we're separated from this body and from this sin nature, it is then and only then that we'll come to know the extent of how bad this body was and the sin nature was. But yet, uh, and Paul makes that clear. Paul presents us the sober truth of that very thing. And Paul uh, diagnoses the problem with us as a sin nature. He says the flesh wars against the spirit. And he says in Romans 7 that I am a wretched man because of the sin that dwells within me. And, and in that, Paul is very honest and clear, soberly gives us the truth about his own struggle to keep God's law. So, we have the indwelling of God, the Holy Spirit, whose presence in ministry at the first installment uh, is, sorry, the first installment of life of heaven in us. At the moment of salvation, we are baptized by God, the Holy Spirit being entered into union with Christ, baptized by the Spirit, given a spiritual gift, all happens at the moment of salvation. And the Spirit is in us to reveal to us, to proclaim to us the person of Christ. That is our first installment in a heavenly life, is the gift of the Spirit. And now that is open to us. As the writer of Hebrews says, it's the new and living way in which the door is open and we have walked through we can walk in that new and living way. So with the Spirit now in us, uh, who is sovereign, He is God, 
communicates to us the touch, the taste, touch and taste. I, I use really touch, feel, and hear from 1 John chapter 1 that when John writes, we want you to fellowship with Christ as we do, as we did. You know, John was face-to-face with Christ for, for three years, more than three years. Uh, and John writes in his first epistle that he longs for that it would fill his heart with joy if the people who had not met Jesus Christ personally would fellowship with him in the way that they did. And therefore, it's possible, uh, and that's with the ministry of God the Holy Spirit. Uh, Through the ministry of God the Holy Spirit, again, with our eyes open and our ears open, eyes and ears within, that we get to taste and touch the fellowship of the Father and the Son. I mean, it becomes an experience. I know in certain denominations, the experience of Christianity is on too far. Right, like charismatic movement, it's, it's, it's uh, overemphasized. But in other denominations and ministries, it's completely underemphasized. And in that, Christianity becomes no experience at all, no emotion in it at all, and it becomes dull and sort of wooden. So, uh, <clears throat> to taste the fellowship of the Father and Son, that's why the Holy Spirit is in us to open up our eyes and ears to the reality of the Father and the Son in our very lives on a day-by-day basis. So, first off, take courage. Because the working of Christ's image in us is a lifelong process. But don't fall asleep on it. Take boldness. The work will only progress if you strive to know God's Word and make every effort to live holy, devoted, and blameless lives. So we take courage. It's a lifelong process. We also are bold. We have to be. If we wait, we sit on our hands, we don't do this, then life will pass us by. We'll be at the end and we will not have the time left to come to know Christ. God gave us years to do it. And we have to take advantage of it. So take boldness. The work will only progress as you strive to know God's Word and make every effort to live holy, devoted, and blameless lives. But also take humility. For we are completely dependent upon God, the Holy Spirit. We cannot do this ourselves, and we must remember that. We're sinners. We're flawed. We can't do this ourselves. We depend upon Him to do everything. None of it works without Him. But we also take care. For if we don't keep on seeing and hearing and learning God's Word, I mean, we have to, the Holy Spirit's not going to force us to learn the Word of God, He's not going to force us to live the Word of God. But if we don't keep seeing, hearing, and learning God's Word and living holy, dedicated lives, we will only stand still while the Holy Spirit bids us to move forward. Go to Titus chapter 2. Titus Titus 2.11, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, it really means soberly, righteously and godly in the present age. And we noted also, in, it's in Timothy, that uh, godliness, Paul talked about godliness, is profitable and godliness is to be devoted. Ungodliness is not to be devoted. And godliness is, I mean, there are other words that are more moral in, in God's word, uh, but godliness is not emphasizing morality as much as it is dedication. The grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness or denying not being dedicated and worldly desires and live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Present age looking for the blessed hope in the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus. All right, so in Titus here, he, well, Paul's writing to Titus, that, uh, you know, we're, we're not forgetting that there's a future and that in this life, though, we have all kinds, you know, why do we have to undi- deny ungodliness? Because we're tempted to it. Why do we have to deny worldly desires? Because they're in us and all around us. Why do we have to uh, 
be instructed to live sensibly, righteously, and godly. Because it's not natural for us, not as fallen creatures. We need the Word of God. We need the Holy Spirit to do this. We've got to be plugged in. And so, uh, how do we do that? Notice, Paul here is not saying do some, you know, say some prayer or do something. This is this is not a momentary thing. Although, uh, denying and learning instruction is made up of moments. But if I'm the kind of believer that you know, I pay attention to the Word of God for this moment, and then for the next hundred moments I don't, and then and if that's my pattern of life, I can say, well, look, God, I was paying attention for, you know, out of my whole life a few hours. And how in the world could I possibly know? How, how in the world would I have time to come, to come to understand my wonderful Lord and Savior? I would not. So denying instruction, these are lifelong things. And there's all kinds of opposition to them. Uh, and so, though there is, we have the Holy Spirit within to empower, to help. That's why he's called the helper, remember? And, John, and as Jesus said, I'm going to send you another helper. That's what he's there for. And also, I have this hope. You know, Jesus Christ is coming back. His kingdom come. His will be done. And the whole world's going to look like His kingdom and His world someday. And I'm going to be in it. But right now it doesn't look like that. And my body is not the body that's made for the kingdom of God. I'm stuck in this thing. But God says that He's given me the power to overcome it. It's not going to make me sinless. But I can overcome. And God has given me all the tools to do it. And so as Paul finishes up here, looking for the blessed hope of the appearing of uh, the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. So he gives himself for us to redeem us and purify. And notice the word purify is being done by him. Right, so you know, if he's doing the purification, which he is, how, you know, what do I do? And and there's that conundrum that people have argued over at the whole church, uh, the whole history of the church, and it's it's a moot point to be arguing it. It's obvious in the scripture that I'm to reach ahead for purity. It's also obvious in the scripture that I can't do it without him, without God the Holy Spirit. I've got to choose purity. I've got to choose it. I have to choose it. You have to choose it. And you and I both know that we're tempted immeasurably not to. And so we, it's zealous for good deeds. I have to be zealous. But I can't be zealous. I can't even be zealous. I can't even desire being zealous without the Spirit within me. I'm dependent upon Him all the time. So we have the grace of God, what He's done for us, and we also have on our end an understanding by which we receive instruction and by that instruction and knowledge we deny things and we accept other things. And so that's the character of holiness here that allows our crop to grow. So go to Mark 4 again. We'll quickly read through the parable of the sower and move past it. We, we looked at it in a little bit of detail yesterday. Um, the character of holiness and godliness gives us eyes to see and ears to hear. Again, this makes perfect sense that if if I desire holiness, I'm listening. If I desire holiness, now I've got to learn what holiness is. But if I desire it, I'm going to want to know what it is. And the fact that I have the desire, anybody has the desire, is only by God the Holy Spirit. None of us can even take credit for the desire. It is only by God the Holy Spirit that we even have it. So what do we do with it? Uh, It's obvious that believers, it's obvious to me that there's a desire for holiness in me, but I don't always want to do it. Romans 7, 14 through 25. (laughs) It's, It's wonderful that Paul writes that section of the book of Romans. 
So honest about himself. Wretched man that I am. The desire is in me, he said, to keep the law of God. But with the, in the flesh, I desire not to. And so the war, there's a war. Flesh against spirit, spirit against the flesh. And so within this war, I, I am tested. And I have the opportunity to choose. I have the opportunity to choose. But what if I didn't choose today? It's a lifelong process. What if I don't choose tomorrow? Still a lifelong process. What if I haven't chosen for 50 years? Well, you're, you're running out of time. It still doesn't, if you're alive, there's always hope. If you're alive, there's always time to change. Always. We can confess, repent, and change when we understand. So look at Mark 4.10. As soon as he was alone, his followers along with the twelve began asking him about the parables. Context here is blind Pharisees, blind cities, and the fact that Jesus was now going to turn to parables which would cause, you know, he's no longer going to teach plainly. And the reason why he's not going to teach plainly anymore is because he has exposed and, and also told them that they are blind and deaf. So he speaks in parables. Who's going to understand the parables? They're not hard to understand. You just have to ask him. You have to ask the source. So as soon as he was alone, his followers along with the twelve began asking him about the parables. See, this is how they're going to learn them because they want to learn them. To the rest, they're foolish. And he was saying to them, to you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, get everything in parables. And the mystery comes by his explanation. In order that while seeing they may see, they may, in order that while seeing, they may see and not perceive. And while hearing, they may hear and not understand, lest they return and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you understand this parable? Sorry, do you not understand this parable? And how, and how will you understand all the parables? We're going to see, why does this parable open up all the parables? We'll see. The sower sows the word. And these are the ones who are beside the road where this word was sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. And in a similar way, these are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, who when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no firm, <clears throat> they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then when affliction and persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others, and others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word and the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word. Uh, that's to suffocate. Choke is a good translation. It also means to suffocate. Suffocate the word and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom the seed was sown on the good soil. And they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. So how are we going to hear? We've got to be on the good soil. But those who are on the good soil are the ones who want to hear. They, uh, the, para, the, the disciples ask him about the parables. There's things in the word of God that we uh, find difficult to understand, uh, that need more study, need more time. It's just like us going to Jesus and saying, can you explain this? Except we don't have Jesus here to explain it. What he has given us is the entire word of God to explain it. Now we have the complete canon of scripture and it explains it. If we have the desire to know. And if we do, we will see and hear. So Jesus gives the interpretation when they ask him. The disciples ask, seek, and not. They're in pursuit. In Matthew, Jesus explains that the seed that, well, we'll skip that. Let's get ahead to the, the ones that have no firm root, they hear with joy, but because of affliction and persecution, they fall away. All of us are going to face tough times. And if the tough times are enough for the, us to drive, be driven away from the word of God and the life that allows you to hear, because we have to be of a certain type to hear, then knowing Christ is not your top priority. You are your top priority. And so, it's a good thing to know. If I find that persecution and affliction drive me away from the Word of God, drive me away from God, then I know. And again, this is not in a moment. All of us fail in this from time to time. 
Maybe every time that affliction comes, we initially freak out. But that doesn't mean that we're all done. Because this is a pattern of life. And if on the pattern of life, I am one that says, you know, I don't care. Despite the pain, despite the affliction, despite the tough times, I'm going to keep hearing the Word of God. I'm going to keep praying. I'm going to keep my relationship with Him thriving and vibrant. And if that is the case, uh, then as Christ says here, you will see and you will hear. Now, the ones who are among the thorns are the ones that I really want to focus on. Uh, they're not, it says that the word in them, so we could say in a believer, a believer has the word of God in his heart, but it's choked. In other words, the word of God is suffocating. Why is that? Worry and the thought of the world's riches and other things that are the source of joy. Notice how Jesus says here, other things. What chokes the word is the deceitfulness of riches and the desires. The, the, word for, the Greek word for other things is really literally means it's loipos and it literally means the leftover or the remainder or the rest. And so we have this riches. And again, what is the root of all evil? The love of money. Not money, the love of money. And then there's everything else. So the main thing, right? Jesus kind of points us to here to the main thing in the world is the love of money. And then there's lust for the remainder, for everything else. And all of us, in one way or another, depends on there's all kinds of factors that lead us to lust for these things. Uh, as Paul writes in Galatians 5, the flesh has passions and desires. Galatians 5.25. The flesh has passions and desires. And so uh, that's what chokes the word, as he says here. So we have this wonderful image of someone who has the word of God in their heart, but the word of God is in conflict with the uh, lust for riches and other stuff. Therefore, the, what's the cost? You say, well, I'm saved. You know, what's the cost? Is that you're not going to hear and you're not going to see. You have eyes to see, but you don't see, and ears to hear, but you don't hear. And so what's plainly stated here by Christ is that our, our choices in terms of character, what we desire, you know, that's, as I, as I heard someone uh, uh, recently say that, He's an older gentleman This in an interview, and he said there's many people who have come up to him, and other men who are in like their 40s and such, uh, 40 years old, 50 years old, who said to this man, he's probably in his 70s now, they said to him, I consider you to be my fa- a father figure to me. He's a famous guy, uh, and a very smart guy, and a very good guy. And, uh, you know, these people say, I consider you to be a father figure. And he said, the reason why they do that, he said, because I'm a grown-up. He said, there's a lot of men in our world who haven't grown up. And, you know, what does it mean to grow up? And, you know, one of the things that it means is that certain desires, to certain desires I say no because I have responsibilities to take care of. But we have, we have a, in our world a bunch of people who give in to all of their desires and it's not considered bad anymore, you know, in society. Uh, and, you know, what does it mean to grow up spiritually? It's the same thing. That there are desires and lusts that get in the way and I say to them, no, I have stuff to do that's important. I have stuff to think that's important. I must say no. And so what's on the line here, besides being a grown-up in, our, in, you know, in society and taking care of your responsibilities, which is important, every believer should, but this is seeing, the, what's on the line here is seeing the Lord Jesus Christ for who he is and his quote-unquote things. Right? In John 16, the things of the Father, use the word things, I love it. He doesn't give us a list of particulars. He says the things it's a neuter plural noun or pronoun. The things of the Father are mine. And so the Holy Spirit will take of mine and proclaim it to you. 
New American Standard says reveal. The word is proclaim. I'm going to teach it to you. Now, do you have eyes to see or ears to hear? Now, right before the parable of the sower, and they, conf- they accuse Jesus of casting out demons by the power of Satan. That's when he says a kingdom divided against itself will not stand. It, right before that, he heals a man demon-possessed who is blind and deaf. He's blind and dumb. Oh, he's blind and deaf. And, you know, it's not a coincidence that Jesus has come to cure us of our blindness and our deafness. So, again, as I said, we see things. Here it is in John 14, 16, 14, and 15. He shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine and disclose it to you. All things that the Father has are mine. Things. What are those things? 2 Corinthians 4, 17 through 18. For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are temporal, but the things that are seen are not, are, uh, that are not seen are eternal. It sounds repetitive, right? My Greek teacher told me today that Paul uses terrible grammar. Now, this is a super educated guy. Right? He could write. He, he knows Attic Greek. He knows Ancient Greek. He knows, uh, he knows Hebrew and Aramaic. This guy is educated. He, he doesn't care about his grammar when he writes his letters to the churches. Because he's after an idea. He's not trying to impress them with how he can write. Because he can write well, but he writes not so well. My Greek teacher told me that he writes at about a ninth grade level. <laughs> he's he's a, a trained Pharisee from Jerusalem. He's also in, in Cilicia where he grew up. There's, there's, he, he, we see in the book of Acts that he has a fine knowledge of Greek literature even. He quotes a Greek poet from memory in Acts chapter 17 when he's in Athens. And... So, you know, why, why the, when I say, the reason why I say that, he uses things four times. Things, 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 things. But they're divided in two categories. The things that are temporal. What does temporal mean? Of time. Right? What are the t- things of time in the parable of the sower? Persecution, affliction, money, the deceitfulness of riches, and all the lust for the other things, the other stuff. That's the temporal stuff. And then in Galatians 5, 16 and 17, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. Those things. What are those things? They are either the things of the Spirit or the things of the flesh. Again, what's on the line here is seeing Christ. Seeing Him. And I think if we can keep that in mind, that we'll be motivated. Because this makes life, the Christian life, not about me. And it turns out it never was. Although the benefits to you are immense. They're more than we could ask or think. As Paul says, it's uh, eye is not seen, ear is not heard, not entered into the mind of man or the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. So there are a lot of things in this world. Some of them are eternal. The rest of them are temporal. We must see and hear properly. So the parable of the sower, now Jesus, and this whole section in all the synoptic gospels, Mark is the, the shortest of the synoptics, is Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, and hear from the time that Jesus starts to condemn. There are cities that he's gone to. He's done miracles all over the place up in Galilee, and there's particular towns that are rejecting him. And that's he says, woe to you, woe to you. If the miracles done here were done in Sodom and Gomorrah, those cities would still be here right now. But you, And so he says, woe to you. And he says, woe to the Pharisees that you are blind and deaf. And then they bring to him a blind and deaf man, 
possessed by a demon. He casts out the demon. And then the Pharisees say, you have done this by the power of the devil. And now in the parable of the sower, first off, why is he talking to them in parables? Because he said, while they see, they don't see. I'm not going to talk to them plainly anymore. I'm still going to teach them, but I'm going to teach them in parables. And while I teach them in parables, they're going to have to either, they have to make a decision. Either the parable makes it stupid. What do you mean birds and seeds and crops? I thought you were the Messiah. What are you talking about farming for? And then I can just reject, you know, just easily reject it. Or if I want to know what he's saying, I have to pursue it. And it's not hard to do. <laughs> right? How do the disciples get the answers to interpretation of the parables? They say, hey, Jesus, can you tell us what the parables mean? That's how they get it. How do we get understanding of the things in the Word of God? All these things about Jesus Christ, they're right here in the Word of God. And the Word of God is not written to confuse us. They just said Paul writes simply. They all do. They all write simply. Jesus speaks simply. The Bible is written for the common man and woman to understand. All right, so go to Mark 4:21. After the parable of the sower, Jesus continues the seeing and hearing motif. This is foundational to our purpose in life. Remember the sower, for the Lord said it is the foundation of all the parables. So why is the sower the foundation of all the parables? Is it because all the other parables are about agriculture, about growing things? They're not. But in order to understand the parables and truly take their message into heart, so to change you, the Word of God is designed to change us. If it's not changing us, we have to reevaluate how we're listening. But as it changes us, and if it's going to change us, we have to live in the good soil. We have to produce fruit. See, in the parable of the sower, if in, in the first one, if I've heard the word, but I don't understand it and don't care, and Satan snaps it away, snatches it away, that's the first seed, of course I'm not going to understand the parables. I've heard them, but nah, I don't, I don't understand them, forget it. The second one is I, I hear them, they sound cool, they sound wonderful, they give me joy, but then I get persecuted for being a Christian. I get persecuted for doing what I'm doing. I face affliction, and I, you know I don't want any of that. So my understanding of the parables, which really we could tra- we'd take them all and find their doctrines in the new in the rest of the New Testament. I, I they're not worth persecution. And then in the third one, I receive the word. The words in me, I hear the parables. I you know, and I want to know what they mean. But then, ooh, look at that over there. This is the Loch Ness Monster coming up above the surface. And he's saying, look, here's money, here's wealth, here's sex, here's this, here's here's power, here's approbation, here's a career, here's this, here's that. All kinds of distractions that Satan has. The schemes of the devil, as we studied in Ephesians 6. Brings them to us, and they're like bells and whistles all around us. And the understanding of the Word of God, which is going to show me Jesus Christ, is not more important than the wor- than the deceitfulness of riches and the worries of the world and the lust for other things. He's just not as important. And this is what is revealed to us. If he is important, and again, it's a lifelong thing, right? We can me- we mess up. None of us does this perfect. I know when when I hear principles like this, when I study principles like this, I you know I want every moment, every day. I want to see them. I want to see everything about them. But sometimes I don't, and sometimes you don't either. And it's because none of us bat a perfect game. None of us play a perfect game. And thankfully, for the grace of God, I have the Spirit in me all the time. If I fall prey to the temptation, if I fall prey to the fear, if I find that I have allowed the sin nature to take control, is it game over for me? Not by a long shot. By the grace of God, I am completely forgiven. My position with Christ is secure for eternity. 
I am righteous. I am justified. And once I have understood my failure, I can confess, repent, and recover completely. So he says in verse 21, Mark 4.21, And he was saying to them, and again, this whole section is about seeing and hearing. A lamp is not brought in, sorry, a lamp is not brought to be put under a peck measure, under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought, was it brought into the house in Matthew? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed, nor has anything been secret, but that it should come to light. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it shall be measured to you. And more shall be given you besides. For whoever has, to him shall more be given. And whoever does not have, even what he has, shall be taken away from him. Now, these lines are, the last lines are actually the exact same thing as the parable of the talents. Uh, If you remember or have heard uh, the parable of the talents, which is in Matthew 25, and that uh, a a master, a rich man, was going on a journey, and he had three slaves, and he gave to one slave five talents, and a talent is an amount of money. He gave to one slave five talents, he gave to another slave two talents, and he gave to the last slave one talent. And both the first two invested their money, uh, the money that the master gave them, and made a profit. And the master said, well done, thou good and faithful servant. To the one who had one talent, he said he was afraid of the master. Now, some say, well, this, the master is God. He's not. Uh, you'll see it in the text. We'll see it uh, on Sunday. The, uh, the ma- he hides. He's afraid of the master, so he hides the talent. And when the master comes back, he hands him the talent back. He said, here, master, here's your talent. I saved it for you. And the master calls him a wicked slave. He said, why didn't you invest it? He said, actually, all you had to do was just put it in the bank. And it would have at least made a little bit of interest. Why didn't you do that? And he's called a wicked slave. So the talents... Which, you know, in that parable, you say, well, what, are, you know, this money that is in that parable is actually here linked to what we hear. Right? Because the same word, and I'll just give you the last verse here in that, in Matthew 25, 29, for to everyone who has shall more be given and, he, and shall have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he has shall be taken away. The one who gave the master the one talent who had saved it, that talent was taken from him and given to the one of the other guys. And so the talents actually refer to what we hear. And we can invest what we hear. And how we invest, we learn it, we apply it, we really come to learn what it means. And we can't learn what it means without living it. And so... You know, so what we want to look at just a little bit, and we'll see if we would we'll do it either Sunday or later. Why does that guy with the one talent, why does he fear the master? And fearing the master, why does it cause him to do that, what he does? And how is that linked to uh, someone who doesn't invest in God's word? And it's actually pretty simple to unravel, but we are out of time to do it now. The, uh, the point here tonight in this lesson is that seeing and hearing is uh, of God's Word as revealed by God the Holy Spirit is, has as its end goal seeing the life, the works, the man, the person, the God, Jesus Christ, and seeing Him. And by seeing Him, His life will become ours. And to see Him... We've got to first know the source, it's the Word of God. And to see Him, we've also got to know that to really learn the Word of God, we have to have a life that is pointed towards the will of God, a desire to do the will of God and obey. All right, let's pray. 
Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for the instruction, also the entreaty, the encouragement, the commands, the things that you speak to us that cause us to fear you, but fear you in the proper way. We are not afraid, for the grace of God is bottomless. But we are also um, given the gift of knowing that we have to know you. We have to come to know you through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We have to take advantage of the Holy Spirit's gift to us of proclaiming him to us and opening up your word to our hearts. May we see, Father, that we will be changed. And we ask in Christ's name, amen.